Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hello, feisty people. I am very excited to present a special episode of the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast that we recorded live in the Wassell shop uh, here in Seattle. We are in Seattle this week to host an Olympic marathon trials watch party in partnership with Wassell and Rough and Tumble. For a little background, Wassell is a women's running apparel company that was founded by Sally Bergeson. And my guest today, Atsuko Tamura, came alongside Sally in 2015 as president. And the two of them created great change for the company and for women's running. When I googled Atsuko ahead of this interview, I was so impressed by her resume uh, in the outdoor industry. She worked for a long time at REI. Uh, She started actually as a checkout girl and moved to senior tax accountant. And before she left, she was senior vice president of strategy, marketing, communications, and public affairs. Atsuko and I talk about how her childhood as a Japanese immigrant and her love of swimming shaped the leader that she is today, how she learned to see and develop the talents of others, and how she dealt with often being the only woman in the room. Atsuko has some great stories, and the live audience even had some fantastic questions. So stick it through to the end. I'm sure you will love it. Okay, um, I'm Sarah Gross, and I'm so excited to be doing our first in a while live podcast recording here at the Wassell store in Seattle. And I'm going to introduce Atsuko a little bit later, but I just want to say hello. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. This is my first podcast. So I can't believe you, I've, I Googled you yesterday, <laughs> and I can't believe you've never been asked to do a podcast before. I know. You know, when you Google me, did you find the woman who was looking for the million dollar diamond in China and the the hamster professional in Japan who was 80? (laughs) Oh, what? That's that's someone with your namesake? (laughs) That's amazing. Well, I had all those questions about that stuff. And now I don't know what I'm going to ask you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. um, (laughs) Did they ever ask me to do a podcast? 
just no. no this is perfect this is perfect i'm learning things i didn't even know i was gonna learn already um okay a little bit of my background um i have a phd in women's history and i have for a very long time been interested in how we include women in the pages of history and also now in sport of course um and i used to be a pro triathlete um and for 14 years yeah um and i was part of a movement to uh have equal slots for the female pros at the ironman world championships and when we asked for equal slots they said no um and then that's when i really learned like the power of media because of course we like took it to the media and we're just like hey this isn't fair you know and i dealt with a lot of reporters then and so when i retired i decided i was going to start a media company so here we are. Um, and so this particular podcast re- this evening is for the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. If you want to um, listen to it, for those who are here, if you want to subscribe, just go to Apple Podcasts and find the Feisty channel and you will find our podcast there. Um, Feisty, just, just very briefly, Feisty is a women's sports media company and we also run education programs online about women's health and performance and the lovely Catherine Taylor. Um, she is our CMO at Feisty Media, and she is an absolute ace at knowing our customer. Um, and she's also the founder of Girls Gone Gravel, which is a gravel cycling brand. Do, are any of you cyclists? Yeah, so we have a lot of endurance athletes in our in our community. And um, yeah, Catherine takes the charge on our Girls Gone Gravel brand. Um, I also want to thank Wassell for hosting us uh, here this evening. Um, and on Saturday morning at 7 a.m., we'll be hosting a watch party at Rough and Tumble for the U.S. Um, Olympic marathon trials. So that should also be fun. Okay, so Atsuko. <laughs> How many of you know Atsuko? Know of? Oh, we have... Oh, amazing. Okay. If you have like, if you've been holding questions for her for and you, that you want to ask her, just like hold on to them because I'm going to ask you later. Um, but she has an incredible track record um, in the industry from her rapid rise at REI um, to her work growing with Sal alongside Sally since 2015. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Thank you for this opportunity. You know what? I think it's awesome that you are a triathlete or a retired pro triathlete because I, I grew up as a competitive swimmer mm-hmm. and um, I always thought, been encouraged by people to do triathlons and the reason why I will never be able to do it is because I'm such a wuss swimming in open water. What? I know. I grew up as a spoiled little pool kid. Mm -hmm. And so the day that they'll let us do a triathlon where you could do the swim in the pool, then I'm all in to ride with you and to run the leg. Because I think triathlons are such amazing events. So congratulations. I'm already like mad respect. Thank you. There are pool triathlons. Are there? Yeah. Ooh. So maybe we should hold you to that. Yeah. I'd love to try one. I think it would be so fun. Yeah, you're not the only one. I one time I went with a friend the first time I went to Hawaii to the Ironman World Championships and she had gone to the Olympics for breaststroke and we went <laughs> swimming on the course for the Ironman and I said, you don't have to swim with me. Like, it's okay, you can go. And she was like, no, Sarah, I'm scared. <laughs> so you're not the only one. <laughs> I used to watch the uh, Ironman in Hawaii every year on TV in October because I, yeah, yeah, because they have so many inspiring stories of all the athletes Mm -hmm. and endurance and just the pain and the suffering, you know, that they have on the course and stuff like that. And so I, every year that was a highlight for me to watch that. So yeah, I think Iron, Ironman is a, it's a tough, tough race. Yeah, it's tough. How did you, um, how old were you when you watched those? 
like how long how far back does that go um you know i watched them as an adult i didn't really know about triathlons you know as a kid but um yeah so i'd say a lot over the last like 20 years yeah yeah and you were a swimmer as a kid was yes that's my uh that was one of the questions you had so my introduction to sport was swimming and um i grew up so i my parents were immigrants i would say reluctant immigrants from japan and um so i grew up speaking japanese in the home and i spoke no english and so i first started uh, i was exposed to english when i went to kindergarten and i thought i have no idea what these people are saying and so i just smiled a lot and just kind of, <laughs> and then there was a, a local swim pool by my parents' house, and it was called um, Virage Swim and Tennis Club. Um, that's what the name is now. And it was actually built as a protest pool because um, within a mile west of Virage was another club, and it was closed off to anyone who was not a white Anglo Saxon Protestant. And so if you were Jewish, if you were Catholic, if you were um, Asian, if you were Hispanic, if you were black, you were not allowed to be a member of that pool. And so, still when you were a child, yeah. that was the case? Well, it was, um, yeah, because when we joined, the pool had only been open for, I want to say, maybe eight years. And so um, when we joined, we had no idea. My parents moved into this neighborhood and we were only intending on living in America for a year. So my dad could be a professor at the U, finish, and then we were going to go back to Japan. And so fast forward, my parents still live in that same house. My mother still does not like speaking English. Um, and uh, But this, this pool, the manager saw my mom um, walking home from the bus with my, my um, brothers. And so he saw us, and so he kind of figured out where we lived because it was just up the street from the pool and where he lived. And he knocked on the door, and he said, you know, I want to introduce myself. We have a pool. We're looking for members. It's a great place for your kids to learn to swim. And my mom was like, I don't speak English. And he said, it's a great place and way for your children to meet other kids and all this kind of stuff. And so my parents thought, you know, swimming would be a good, it's a good life skill. And so we joined, and, um, and then I just fell in love with being in the water. And the neat thing about this club, though, is that um, it was really, it was built as a protest pool, and it was um, a bunch of people, you could call them progressive Presbyterians and Jewish people in the community, they pooled all this money together, and they bought this piece of property, and they built a pool. And they said, everyone is welcome, it can be for anyone, and now... I think you'd fast forward to today and just the neighborhood that it's in. It is so economically ridiculously expensive. Um, and um, But I got to serve on the board um, 10 years ago, and it was really great to be able to go through and talk about the pool's opening and to be able to remind people. And there were so many people that didn't even know this history of it. And I said, this kind of history is really important, and you can't lose that. And it's across the street from Magnuson Park, where Mercy Housing is, and there's low-income housing. And so I said, you know, these kids are never going to have a chance to really access a pool. So to the extent that we can open up this pool when it's not as busy, we should invite these kids over because that's really what, that's how we should share assets like this. And so it was really fun to be able to kind of thread the history of the club and having grown up there. And um, so I learned to swim there. I coached there. Um, I set a lot of records there too. I'm not going to lie. I love that. So, um, yeah, yeah. So 
but that's how I, that's where I uh, started swimming. And I loved swimming because I didn't have to talk to anyone. It's all the water. You just, you swam fast, get out of the pool, smile, say thank you, and you're on your way. Right. And so were you that swim kid that was there like 5.30 in the morning every day kind of thing? Um, since it was, a, yeah, for summer, I was in the pool all the time. I was a pool, little pool rat. And then when I started, um, and actually my first year, I was terrible. Like, I loved swimming, but I was super, super bad. And um, this person came up to my mom and she said, you know, your daughter seems like she really likes the pool. So if you want to, you can try out this little club team that swam all year round. And so my mom asked, do you want to swim all year round? I thought, yeah, if I could be in a pool and water, yes. And so that's where I started doing the get up early, but not when I was that young. I think I think swimming's gotten a little out of hand. I think sports has gotten a little out of hand. I could get knocked for saying that, but I I think it's gotten a little out of hand. Um, but yeah, I was the get up early, high yardage decade. Right. Yeah. Right. And what do you think swimming did for you as a kid? That like, did it teach you lessons that you bring brought into your professional life later? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It taught me a lot. I it taught me discipline, um, the ability to focus. You know, and then also to just, just a lot of grit, grit and gutting through horrible sets. I was a butterflyer and I loved butterfly because I just thought it's a beautiful stroke. There's so much rhythm. It's like dancing in the water and, um, and you can't do it slow. Like you, it's true. Yeah, no, <laughs> if you try it, you just don't do butterfly. Um, but it also taught me, you know, I'd say swimming taught me how to, um, it just kind of more reaffirmed the way that my parents raised us, which was you, you are respectful, you, you win graciously and you, you know how to lose and you, um, you lose and you learn, you pick yourself back up and then you keep going. And so I think that those are all things that I learned in swimming. The other thing that I found interesting is, um, as I started going and working and things like that is the way that sports and the events that you do, how that can really shape the way that you work and the way that you relate to people. And so what I remember in swimming is I loved individual uh, events, but my favorite events were the relays because it's, yeah, yeah, I know. And this is like one of those hindsight things because you really depend on each other you know, and I've DQ'd relays too by false starting and all that kind of stuff. But but relays were always my favorite event. Yeah. It says something about you. I know. I don't know what it says, but it, it's true. I loved individual events and stuff like that, but I love the relays the most. Yeah. Cool. And I was reading about your career. <laughs> this is the question we were talking about earlier, um, that when you started with REI, yeah. You you walked. This is this is what I read that you wrote your own job description and you basically told them like this is how your company is going to save money by hiring me. So you should hire me. Is that true? I mean, yeah, it, it kind of is true. How old were you at this stage? I was in my later twenties. Yeah, but there's but you gotta ha the the context of why I did that and how I got to that is kind of important. So can I can I tell? Yeah, I okay, <laughs> so REI. Um, so we were members, but I was really my brother was more of the outdoor guy in our family. But when I was in college, I got a job cashiering, and so I cashiered at the old Capitol Hill store here. And I was hired as a seasonal cashier. And so then after Christmas is over, I remember waiting for the supervisor to come over. And I thought, she's going to fire me any day. Any day. It's getting slow. And, and I remember thinking, 
when's, when's my day? And I, you'd look down and you'd see her go and tap a guy on the shoulder and he'd, his little head would drop. He'd pull out his cash drawer and then he'd leave and he'd never come back again. And I thought, oh, this is so sad. And so I remember asking her, when's my last day going to be? And she goes, you know what? You're doing fine. And I said, okay, so I should just keep showing up as long as you're on the schedule. So I started as a cashier, and then I actually um, had a... I, I That's an even better story, by the way, because you ended up how you ended up by uh, VP or like yeah. from cashier to VP. Oh, big thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, so I was. I was a cashier, and then I um, became a, a public accounting person, and REI was a client of mine. And so I did their audit work and then I transferred over to the tax department and I did their tax work. And we, I had developed a relationship with the controller and their internal tax person. Well, she was an internal accounting person, kind of like a, um, she was this amazing woman. She had, um, immigrated from Poland. She was about 60 years old at the time. And, um, they said, Oh, Atsuko, you have such patience in working with her. And so the, the our, our office would always assign me to go work with her on all these special projects and stuff like that. And I would just rack up tons of billable time and then they would have to bill it. And so then, um, you know, public accounting, they say it can beat you, but you can't beat it out of you. So you kind of, <laughs> you know, this from being in the service industry. So you kind of get this work ethic, you know, and so I burned out. I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in public accounting anymore. And so at the time, I wrote REI proposal and I got the permission from the firm, you know, the manager. I said, we bill these guys so much money and they really shouldn't be paying this firm to do this work. And so would it be okay if I put a little proposal together and I'm going to tell them this is the role they should hire and, oh, look at this, you've got the person. <laughs> so I wrote, a, I wrote a proposal, wrote a job description, and I even costed it out and I summarized all of our bills that we had billed them over the years. And I said, if you hire me, I'm not a big money monger, so you can pay me this. You'll cut these in your fees to the firm. They're okay with it, and you can, and I'll pay for myself for at least two years. So, wow, that's amazing. And you were like 28 or something. I was a little younger. Yeah, a little younger. Yeah, like 25. Wow, so impressive. I believe I did that. That's kind of that's feisty. It's very feisty. <laughs> that's why I had to bring up that story. So you start as like a tax analyst then? I did. Well, so I actually, um, so they, at the time, they said, oh, we don't have the headcount. And so I said, well, I don't want to stay in public accounting. So I took a, I went to Microsoft and took a job there. And I wanted to work there because they, you could wear t-shirts and shorts and you get subsidized bacon and free Earl Grey tea bags. <laughs> subsidized bacon? Like not free bacon, but no, like. It was subsidized. <laughs> it was like, yeah, really huge strips of bacon for, you know, like 10 cents a piece. That, that's, that's that's what my company's missing, subsidized bacon. I know. I love bacon. So, um, But I went to Microsoft, and when I was there, REI called and said, hey, remember that job description that you put together? Well, we got the headcount, and we wanted to know if you were still interested in it. And I thought, you don't get a chance like this to go work at a, a company like REI. And so I just jumped and went, yes, I don't understand software anyway. So, and so then at REI, like you, you rose 
what I would consider relatively quickly, you know, from whatever the position was you created for yourself as a tax analyst to VP. Like, did you did you have a sense of um, imposter syndrome at all during that rise? Or did you feel like you belonged? You know, it's funny because I think when you look at my LinkedIn or you look at my resume, you just look and you go, oh, what a career ladder climber. And I never, I never felt that. The, I mean, I never sat there and thought, this is my next move. This is my next move. It literally was, you know, the classic case of see something that needs to be improved and you improve it. And then, oh, this team member over here needs this kind of support. So what do you need? Oh, okay. And you just kind of keep taking on projects and things and stuff like that. And then the company, you know, when I got to REI, it was like 350 million. And so it was in a really, um, a, a healthy growth clip. And um, so there was just a lot that finance and accounting needed to do. And so it was literally just finding things, making it better, finding things, making it better on the fly, on the cheap, you know, because as a co-op, you, you count every rubber band and every paper clip. So, um, but in terms of imposter syndrome, I never really felt it until um, I would say, I did a really unusual, um, my, as I as I kind of moved up the ranks into executive leadership roles, that's when it started to get a little scary because I became this kind of like a golden girl fix-it person. Like, give it to Atsuko, she'll fix it. And so you take on these really strategic or significant projects that are huge, and then you think, I have no idea what I'm doing. And there was a hand, like a bunch of those, and I just kind of poured myself in there and, you know, you figure it out and you and you go. Um, examples would be, okay, I mean, I work, <laughs> do you want to hear all this? <laughs> like, I don't know how many of you knew that REI had a store in Japan. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that now. Yeah, but REI decided to have a store in Japan. And Is that because of you? No, it wasn't because of me. I was one that said, I'm not sure we should do this. <laughs> Um, but the decision was made and then they, um, they asked if I would step in and kind of like take over the project and get to opening this store. And, um, the, the truth of it is, is that there's store openings, but then there's a whole other opening a whole new business and going into a foreign country is that you don't just open a store, you've got to set up everything. And so that was a that was a massively stressful, a lot of tears, a lot of late nights, a lot of, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. A lot of cultural things that I learned too, because one of the things was, oh, Atsuko, you speak Japanese. I thought, well, that's a good reason. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot and my parents were really helpful, you know, having to go over to Japan and walk into meetings where... Um, I could give you tons of examples where I'd walk into a meeting and I'd be the only female and I was the most senior person from REI and the the Japanese men on the other side would talk about me and I would I just said I don't speak Japanese so yeah because it was better if I when I, when they found out that I spoke Japanese it put me at a total disadvantage because I I spoke um more uh, social and more academic and not business. And so um, I remember going into this meeting 
And we had a consultant guy say, okay, Atsuko, the way that the seating is arranged here, you sit here, I sit here, and there was just this whole arrangement. And then the, and it was actually a bank. They came in and they look around and they, and they said in Japanese, they go, oh, they got the admin sitting in your spot. So, you know, and then they just assumed that the guy who was the biggest person on our team was the most important one. And so they had the most important guy over there sit across from him and kind of like, well, just, just deal with her. And I was listening and just, I understood this whole thing. I thought, this is really funny. And you didn't want to step in and say, whoa. No, 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 no because I thought, th- this, we're going to figure this out. And so then you go into this formal business card exchange. And so I took my card out. And I, and, and what you do is you put, you, you present it to the person sitting across from you because you just assume everyone knows where they're sitting. So I gave my card and there's a way to do it. And the person's face was like, Oh crap. And then he says in Japanese, he says, she's the, she's like the, the senior person. And they're like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And then they're just like shuffling around, you know? And so then I said in English, I said, what's happening in here? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and then the a little guy, acting. Yeah, and then the guy with me, I said, "Can you translate that?" And he says, "Oh, we're just trying to reorganize ourselves, you know, in Japanese, you know." And I said, "No, that's not what I said." <laughs> yeah. So, wow. There are a lot of experiences like that, you know, and and a lot of my um, my American women colleagues would say, "This is such a chauvinist country. How do you handle it?" And I think you know, you just go in and you you it it does not help to have a chip on your shoulder. It doesn't help to get angry, and um, but it also doesn't help to just lose your confidence or to just kind of accept it either. You just have to go, okay, we got to just figure out a way to get to the end respectfully, with dignity, and that there's a good you know outcome where we're not hating each other in the end. And so you just kind of navigate through that. So right. there was a lot of that for right. me. Yeah, so that was an example, though, of a really hard project. And so we opened it mm-hmm. April. And then the next, and then I got to be done with that, go back into my, my normal job. Mm -hmm. And then the numbers for the project weren't working. Mm -hmm. And so then I got asked to go and lead the project to shut it down. And that was really, really rough because you kind of are looked at as a, like you're betraying your own people, Mm -hmm. you know, because you go back and I made some really good friends in Japan that, that worked at the store and, you know, they kind of let me into kind of like the inner circle. And I remember going over there and having to say, so we've decided to make a really tough decision and we're going to close this business. And it was literally like, you're worse than just a foreigner. You are a betrayer. And I remember, you know, leaving this restaurant because that's where I had to tell everyone and leaving and crying and calling my parents and saying, they hate me. And my dad said that was such a horrible way to have to tell them. And that's not on you, you know? Yeah. So that was, it was, so those are, those are some tough, really tough knocks. And there are moments of resentment that I had too towards, towards the whole idea to begin with, you know, but you work through that. And the, the positive is that every single person that was on that project whose job and life was affected negatively is now in a much better place. And I think that's kind of like the the redemptive good that comes out of stuff like that is you take a risk. You it doesn't always work out. It's not all on you. 
But the fact that you did that, it's, it's character building and it makes you uniquely positioned for other people to want to take a risk on you. Yeah. You still have friends in Japan from that time? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. We're friends on Facebook. Um, and, uh, the translation thing's really helpful, you know, cause they'll write you little notes and stuff. But yeah. And so when I do go over there, we actually get together. There's not many, but yeah. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. 
You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. Um, so how did you meet Sally and start working with Wasel? So I met Sally. So Sally, in between um, REI and um, Wazel, there was a, I, I was the CEO of a company called Evo, which is a little action sports company. And one of the investors at Evo, who um, I got to know, was um, uh, New Sally. And so when I was done with Evo, I thought, I'm so done working with founders. You probably want to delete that. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought after that, I thought, I'm done with business. I'm going to go change the world. I'm going to go do philanthropy. I'm going to do something else. And um, I was just enjoying my life swimming, running. And Still swimming at this point. Yeah, I picked it back up, actually. I quit for a while because, you know, when you're a competitive swimmer and then you quit and you you have to, like, reconcile where you are with what you were and your pride just gets in the way. And I And I remember jumping in the pool and I thought, I float so well. That's not a good sign. I'm very well marbled right now. <laughs> so it was just hard to kind of go, wow, I'm really buoyant. That means I'm really out of shape. Um, but yeah, I had picked swimming back up as an adult. And uh, so he reached out to me and said, I really want you to meet Sally. And um, it turned out that Sally and I lived in the same neighborhood. We met at Top Pot Donut on 35th. And I went in and just, you know, she told me about Wazelle. She told me why she started it, um, what stage she was with the business and things like that. And so I just kind of like gave her some thoughts. And then um, a few weeks later, she called and said, will you come and work here? And I go, no, I would love to be your fan and friend because I know what it's like to be a CEO. It's very, very lonely. It's a lonely job because you have a board that you report to. You've got people that you're responsible for, but you don't have your own peers. And so um, I told her, I said, I'm happy to be 
you know, an advisor, a friend, a fan, and just give you ideas, you know, and I, and be a sounding board for you. And so, um, I did that for the first, I guess, almost year and a half after we met. And then she roped me in and said, you know, all my warts, you know, all of our warts. And I thought, you know, it's not every day that you get to go to a company that's in this stage of growth that is so mission driven. And it was also a completely new category for me because I'd always been in specialty retail and then you go into the product side. So that was, that was really fun. So that's how I met Sally. We hit it off. She's got an excellent sense of humor. So that's one of the things that I think kept us going a lot is we would just find the joy and the humor and in all things. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I have a quote here that I wrote down from Sally that you have a knack of seeing the potential in every person and nurturing their talent. Um, which is like, that's, I love, I think that's such a cool skill and it's cool that someone else is saying that about you. Like, how did you develop that skill? Well, that's a, that's a really nice compliment from Sally. Um, gosh, you know, I think it's, I think you, one is, um, I'd say a couple of things. One is I got to work for some really wonderful people in places I've been. I've also gotten to work for horrible bosses, like, like horrible. And you learn from both. And, um, and I actually had more horrible ones than probably great ones, but I learned so much from both of them. And, um, the other thing is, is, is I think coming up in accounting and finance, when you're on, on, in that, that in, um, department, you're always, and in a co-op structure too, is you don't, you hardly ever get the resources you need. And so you've got to make the most with what you have and who you have on your team. And so I would sit there and see what was needed for accounting and finance, you know, strategic needs, process needs, system needs, and things like that. And I would put my little budget together, get it all cut, watch everybody else get everything else. You know, I'm like, can I just have like envelopes? Um, but so what I did was I, you know, I'd say, here's the plan. Here's what I think we need. What do you all think? And they would say, well, we understand that Atsuko, but we don't have the experience or we don't, you know, or some people would just go, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'd say, okay, but let's do it together. And so you just kind of start to paint what's needed, paint the pros and cons, how you get there. And you just start and just encourage people and say, let's just see what happens. Let's just try it. And so I, it, it was, it was really coming from a place of, um, scarcity, um, and tr- needing to make the most. And then also figuring out the gap of where you needed to be and where they were and trying to fill that without killing yourself. Yeah. Are you, are you nodding as much as I am, Catherine, about, about this? Like, she's trying not to move the camera but like just in a startup environment too like I don't know how many employees were at Wassell at that point but like for us it's like we have it's like often the direction of the company is built on the talent of the team it's like what can this particular team do and how can we move people forward into like different skill sets or evolve their skill set you know yeah it's it's not easy and you know I think that um, I feel really fortunate that um, I got to work in like established companies, but through huge times of change and growth. And so, um, and also at somewhat 
a little bit of established company through challenges, you know, and needing to get through that and, and, and trying to figure out how do you get from here to there and preserve the very thing that made that company start and be special and be appealing, you know, and, um, and preserve all those things and then fine tune the things that, um, are going to, that, that need to be. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely an art and science for sure. Yeah, yeah, love that. Um, what do you think for the future of Wasal? Like, how what what kind of vision or Wasal or any other women's running company? How big do you think that that kind of company can get? Well, I always have this thing, and I would always tell Sally this too, and she would just kind of laugh at me. But I and I think it helps to be um, to be. Uh, an immigrant's kid and to kind of have uh, like a world view on things. But I think that, that a women led women owned running brand is going to be huge. And I think that the world needs Wazel. I really believe that from the bottom of my heart, because you see how, um, you know, I, when you look around the world and you look even just in the United States or even your own neighborhood, that women's voices are, are important. I think that when women, um, and I think learning sports and the character that it develops is really critical. And I think that sports and um, do transform people. And when a female is transformed, I think that she is um, she develops this this uh, this characteristic and qualities that I think make her incredible. And I think that when women's cups are filled, I don't mean bras, but when their hearts are full. They are, they build community and they, 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 they go out and they gather and they grow. And I think that that will transform, I think they transform communities and I think that'll transform um, lives. And I think that that can change the world. And, um, and I've thought a lot about what sport and, and why running, especially growing up as a swimmer, I didn't like running at all. In fact, my first run, I sprained my ankle because I cheated <laughs> and I took a shortcut. <laughs> you cheated? I did. Yeah, I didn't want to do this run. I thought, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. So I took a shortcut and I fell in a hole. Yeah. Really? Karma. Yeah, total karma payback. But um, but why running is running is a fun... It, one, it's, it's the way that our bodies move if you are able. And the second is running is a fundamental activity for any sport. Swimmers are now... They, they all run. My nieces all did competitive swimming and running was part of their training. You know, and so I think that if you can provide the the gear, the community and education and all of those things for and make running accessible, I think that that's the beginning of a whole bunch of things. So and I think that's what, you know, Wazel's mission, that's what Sally, Sally saw a need to meet something that women runners needed. You know, Sarah Lesko saw community and saw how important community was. And, and then also, you know, Wazelle was a trailblazer in, in finding athletes' rights for women and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's what I see for Wazelle. And I know Arielle's going to, she's going to lead it. So and I'm right there being her uh, helper. Amazing. And I'm going to ask you all if you have questions. So just ponder a little bit here. But what are you up to these days now that you've kind of transitioned out of your official role with Wasel? Well, I've only transitioned like a day. Oh, a day. <laughs> well, was it a good day? Yeah. Today was my first day <laughs> transitioning. But no, it's it's great. I am so, so excited. And honestly, um, 
it's been it's been hard the last couple of years. I mean, you, for your business, it was hard too. COVID was a wreck for everybody. But um, I believe in the resilience of the human spirit. And I think that when you've got that, it will transcend into brands and cultures when they have their North Star right. And so um, for me, when I, when I, I look at my life now, I'm so excited to spend time. I've got two nieces that live with me at home. And so one's actually, she's at Starbucks waiting for me and she's a high schooler and she didn't want to come and hear your story. Well, I told her she, I, I didn't know she wanted to or could. So, but she's doing homework. So I'm excited to spend time with her. I'm going to Japan with my parents in a few weeks and they're getting older. So I'm going to go over there for a few weeks and I'm going to keep running. I stopped running during COVID. And so I'm kind of climbing myself out of a hole. It's not a sprained ankle this time, but it's still a hole. Um, and then I, yeah, I, I don't know what my plans are, which is really great. I love that. So my notebook is blank. <laughs> Perfect. We bonded over notebooks earlier for anyone who knows me. I always have a notebook. Um, does anyone have questions? Critique. Kudos. <laughs> mm. I just had an opportunity to interview Rebecca Rush. I don't know if you know her. She is, uh, she was an adventure racer, mountain bike hall of famer, uh, gravel cycling hall of famer. And we asked her what her hope was for the future of women's sports. And she said, I think we need to see more women, um, leading in the industry and leading companies. And, uh, I just would love for you to talk from your point of view why you see that as so important. You talked about it a little bit with Wazelle, but you know, just a little bit more and why that's so important. Good question. Um, I think it's important for more women to be in the ind- leading in leadership roles, whether it's C-suites or um, in roles of influence, for sure. And I think it's because um, women, and, and Wazel was the first experience I had of working with pretty much an all-women office. And um, there is a, a culture and a tone and um, a spirit that happens there when you've got everybody together like that. And it's really magical. And I think that there's um, higher levels of collaboration. I think there's different unique ways of problem solving. I think that um, the women that I have gotten to work with all have this ability to jump up and see the big thing of what's got to be done. And then there's ability to just jump in and get it done. The the whole GSD. And um, so I think that that kind of leadership and, and nurturing and care, but also being able to be tough and um, be clear about expectations. All those things are really important. And I think women bring a relational ability. Um, and this is not to dismiss men in any way, but I think that that is helpful. I also hope too that, um, and I, and one of the things that's been really great working with, um, RIDC and, um, is, uh, is really trying to put effort into making running more racially representative. I don't have all the right words, but I love that initiative. And I love that organization and that the running industry is taking it seriously. And um, and there's a group that I think Allison Desir and Martha, they all started this. It's called um, uh, Women of Color Take the Lead, and it's for the running industry. And at first I thought, okay, how do how does somebody like me who is not white or black or brown fit into this whole scenario? And so it's been a, a really um, interesting and growing discovery, you know, of what are all those different dimensions that you bring as a female. So one is you're a woman, me, there's other different dimensions of me, you know, but I think that women are able to see this multifaceted um, 
qualities and characteristics about people. And they're able to build and lead together. So that's why I think, I, I don't know, it'd be fun to see more of. Totally. And I used to, you know, when I was a professional athlete, but even for like anyone who goes out running on a group run, you know, um, I used to think about leadership in terms of like, you don't have to be the one leading the run to lead. You know, like you can, like I used to think I can, I could lead from the back of my swim lane, right? And if I could make every person in that lane swim a little bit better, then I would swim a little bit better, right? And I yeah. feel like we can all kind of do that from wherever we are. Yeah. You know, I, um, one of the club, the club team that my nieces swam for, one of the philosophies they had was they said, because a lot of people tend to coach the elite and they want the elite, but really you coach the middle. Because when you coach the middle, the elites push themselves harder and it gives space for the kids that are not quite at the middle level. It gives them space to grow. And so I think that we tend to look for the, the shiny bling a little bit too much. And then the gap in the middle just gets forgotten. And so I think that, uh, that, that if, um, I think there's corporate structures, I think that there's organizational structures and there are, the world is hungry, especially in the United States for something unique that kind of breaks the cycle that, that we're on that I don't think is a, it could use a little bit of refinement. Yeah. Cool. Does anyone else have a comment or question? Here we go. Excellent. Hi. Um, so I'm kind of asking around the culture and what made that an important part because of like the thing with Lauren and Kara and then um, your things like bird camp and the different valet groups, um, like most businesses don't have that. And so how did that become a thing you imagined and then just made? So I just get to be the storyteller on this one because that really, if you think about what Sally loves to do is she loves to wear nice clothes and run with her friends. And um, and Sarah, let's go, and Sally, um, they saw uh, a need to say, all right, how do we, how do we bring that forward? And how do we, what's, a, what's like a, a programmatic but organic way to bring women together to do what they love, which is to run together, to support one another, to encourage each other. And so Volet really started with that. And I think that's one of the things that's so cool is when something starts from an organic kind of sense of, this is cool, let's have more. This is cool, let's have more. And so, um, and then bringing Kara and Lauren in, it was, you know, there are not many people like Kara and Lauren out there. They are such leaders. They're honest and authentic. And what I love about seeing the way that both of them and Wazelle have been able to grow together is I think that's when you see the best of women, you know, creating a, a safe place that is respectful, that is honoring, and that allows people to be able to tell their full story and be their full self and know that they're not being hung out to dry. And so we, we love Lauren and Kara for the athletes that they are, but we always saw them for their full human self. So it was like, you could have a fast run. That's awesome. Good for you. But how's Colt? You know, how's Zadie? So I think that that full spectrum of relationship and caring is, is really what's at the heart of, of um, our culture. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. 
So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% mulberry silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedas has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Okay, well, Atsuko, thank you so much. This has been so fun. No, we. I feel like I learned a lot about business and leadership. Did you all learn a lot? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were all. They, <laughs> I don't know. Learn from learn learn a lot of what not to do from it too. 
Um, and I also want to thank Wassel for hosting us this evening. And hopefully we'll see you all on Saturday morning to watch the U.S. Olympic marathon trials at Rough and Tumble. Thanks. Thanks.